0: Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church. Or um, we also have Instagram, Global's Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, goebbelssdachurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. This morning, I woke up, I'm reminded that there's a saying, if March comes in like a lamb, it goes out like a lion. And it looks like that's going to be true this year. Now, again, I'm a teacher, I'm not a preacher. So today I'm going to ask you questions, I want interaction. And not a lot of answers, yes, no, and so forth. Get your opinion on a few things. Makes me feel more comfortable from talking to people instead of talking at them or preaching at them. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, our lesson primarily is going to be in those chapters, in those verses of Matthew. <clears throat> now, the story recorded in Matthew 16 takes place shortly after the Passover in AD 30, about one year before Christ was crucified. In chapter 15, it kind of set up the story. Jesus had just fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few little fish. Uh, they got into the boat and crossed over to Magdala, which is a town on the eastern side, excuse me, western side of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And then Ken read the scripture reading, and I'll focus on some of the words there, um, particularly verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now one moment, Peter is being called blessed. The next moment, Peter is being called an offense. So what's going on here? Before we answer that question, this is the first one I have for you: Is what do you know about Peter? Impulsive. What's that? Impulsive. He's impulsive. I've got to drink a little water. In my voice here. What else? Oh, what was that? Oh. He was bold. Tech, Aaron. Okay, do it myself. He loved Jesus very much. This is a list I came up with. Peter was a fisherman. Now, fishermen back then led a rough life. I'll talk about the Sea of Galilee in a little bit. But uh, it was not easy being a fisherman, they work hard. And um, how many have heard the saying someone talks like a sailor? Fishermen talk like sailors as we learn in the story about Peter when he cursed uh, knowing Jesus. Okay, Peter was married. He was one of the older disciples. He acted as a spokesman for the other disciples. Peter loved Jesus very much and wanted to protect him as witness when he cut off Malchus's ear. He was self-confident like doing things his way. He's impetuous. I look up the meaning of impetuous here. Acting or done quickly and without thought or care. Desire of Ages says that Peter was naturally forward and impulsive. Now this morning, we're gonna talk about several of these factors that Peter had, how they were fighting for control of his heart. My next question to you is, how old do you think Peter was? Okay, someone said 30. Someone said 50. Now, see, in my mind, from pictures that I've seen, obviously we're affected by what we see. I always see Peter as kind of a middle-aged man, gray hair, balding, and so forth. Okay, So before we answer that question, I'd like to give you a little bit of background. About the Jewish educational system. It's customary, it was customary back in that day for a child to begin his religious training about age five. And this was done in a synagogue, usually. They usually sat around a teacher, similar to what you see like in Mrs. Boothley's class. Now, some of you have taught Sabbath school, and you have a little desk, and you have children sitting around and so forth, and you would kind of talk back and forth. Now sometimes they stood around the teacher, but basically that's how they had their, did their education. They usually finished their education around age 12 to 13. Now if they were interested in religious training, then they sought out a rabbi that they would be under his teacher, which usually started around age 12 to 15 and continued till they were 30. And when they were 30, they can go out on their own and be a rabbi or teacher themselves. Now, if a student showed a lot of potential, then the rabbis would seek them out themselves so they can go ahead and teach them. Um, How old was Jesus when he went to the temple? He was 12. Notice this comment, Desire of Ages. The rabbis knew that Jesus had not been instructed in their schools. Yet his understanding of the prophecies far exceeded theirs. In this thoughtful Galilean boy, they discern a great promise. They desire to gain him as a student, that he might become a teacher in Israel. They give his education, feeling that a mind so original must be brought under their molding. Now, if they were not interested in religious training after age 12-13, Started looking for a trade. And most of the time, they went into the family business. In Peter's case, he was a fisherman. Tad was a fisherman. Peter became a fisherman. Andrew became a fisherman. James and John, fishermen, and so forth. Now, at age 18, they were able able to get married. And usually, a rabbi or the rabbi's disciples were younger than the teacher. Another question, how old was Jesus when he started his public ministry? About 30. Now, the custom of today, at age 12, rabbis would seek out students to teach them. At age 30, once you finished your teacherage, you're just you're, you're being a teacher or a student under uh, a rabbi, you went out and became a rabbi. In Jesus' case, he fulfilled both these things. Galatians 4, 4 says... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. So I thought it was interesting, I did my research, that Jesus followed the custom of the day. Now let's look at some of the facts about Peter to help answer the question who Peter was. my research, I found that Peter was born somewhere between 1 B.C. and 4 A.D. Another question. How old was Jesus when when he was born? Or when was Jesus born? Any Bible scholars have a, for what? I mean, when was he born? Okay, 4 or 5 B.C. Therefore, Jesus was probably anywhere from 5 to 10, roughly, years older than Peter. And Peter had uh, fishing partners, Andrew and John. In Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27, an issue occurred about um, the temple tax. It says that um, the collectors came over and asked Peter, doesn't your master pay temple tax? What did Peter say? Yes, he pays it. So then came into the house and Jesus saw him and you know kind of wonder what happened and so forth. And he asked him, uh, Peter, does the king pay tax? Does he no, king does not pay tax. The king's children pay tax. No, they don't pay tax. Others do, but the king doesn't, implying that the temple tax was for Christ, who was what the temple was all about. And then his disciples were his children. So they did not have to pay the temple tax. Now, who was a temple of tax? Um, who was taxed? How old did you have to be? Okay, had to be 20. When the children of Israel came into the land, they imposed a temple tax on those that were over 20. Okay. So Peter was at least over 20. You no, know, he's over 18. He was married. he's over 20. That's the closest we can come to his age. But you know, Jesus did not have to pay the temple tax, and neither did Peter, but he said in order to not offend them, go ahead and pay it. Now some facts about the Sea of Galilee. How many know what uh, Snow... Uh, lake affects snow is. (laughs) Do you know the mechanism of that? Okay. Warm waters, cold Canadian air, and you got snow. Keep that in mind. Sea Galilee was uh, located in the hills of northern Israel. It was about 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by mountains. It was nearly eight miles across from east to west at the widest area. And from north to south, it was about 12 miles long. And some places of it, it uh, plunged about 200 feet into uh, the, uh, the ground. Okay, the sea's location made it subject to sudden and violent storms as the wind came over the eastern mountains and dropped suddenly into the sea. The, sea, the storms are likely when the west wind blew the cold air over the warm waters they covered the sea. And sudden change caused the storms to occur. Again, it's sort of like lake effects now. I thought that was interesting. I they read it. One other fact about, you know, Peter and the other disciples during the last supper in John 13, Jesus says, little children, you're little while I am with you. You seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, and there's other things. Um, now, it's interesting with the children's story, because I, I kind of chuckle when I read this, okay? Uh, how many adults like to be called a child? We did it in fun today, but I mean, you know, most adults don't like to be called a child. Now, if someone says to you, you're acting like a child, how does that make you feel? Not very good. Earlier I mentioned there were several factors that were fighting in Peter's heart. And I'd like to go over three of those. One was self-control. One was that he loved Jesus and they wanted to protect him and the last was his natural of nature in doing things his way. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us there is a way that seems right but it's end is the way of death. And Peter's heart was kind of struggling with that. Seems like would, this is the right thing to do. And Jesus was appealing to him uh, not to. Matthew 16, 21 states that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day and be raised alive. In the gospels of Matthew and John, there's at least five times that Jesus was telling his disciples the same thing. I must go to Jerusalem the priests and chief elders and scribes gonna you know kill me. I'm going to be raised on the third day. Okay, so it was not that Jesus only told him that once. He told him again at least five times that I found, uh, and there's other times I'm sure he said it, but at least that I recorded in the, in the scripture. Now I like to do some imagine. I want you to imagine in your mind certain things with me. Imagine that you love someone very much. And they told you they had something that, that they had to do something that was gonna cause their death. What would you do? Okay, you would try to discourage them, you would try to you know uh, prevent them from doing that. Matthew sixteen twenty-two tells us what Peter did. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Again, Jesus uh, was loved very much by Peter. Notice Jesus Jesus' response in verse 23. It says Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, to me, that seems rather a, ra- a harsh response to someone who's trying to protect you. I don't know it is to you, but I read it. That it seems to me kind of harsh. It seems like it could have toned it down a little bit. Um, but he didn't. The next two verses, verses 24 and 26, helps, helps us understand the lesson that Jesus is trying to present to his disciples. Not only Peter, but to his disciples. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Well, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Desires of Ages, uh, page 416, sheds some light on on this uh, interaction between uh, Peter and Jesus. Uh, it states, Peter loved his Lord, but Jesus did not commend him for thus manifesting a desire to sh- shield him from suffering. Peter's words were not such that would be a help and sol- solace to Jesus in this great trial before him. They were not in harmony with God's purpose of grace toward a lost world, nor with the lesson of self-sacrifice that Jesus had come to teach by his own example. Peter did not desire to see the cross in the work of Christ. The impression which his words would make this directly opposite to that which Christ desired to make under the mind of his followers, and the Savior was moved to utter one of the sternest rebukes that ever fell from his lips. Get behind me, Satan, thou art an offense to me, for they, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of God. Now, who was behind playing a part in this? Satan was trying to discourage Jesus, to turn him from his mission. And Peter, in his blind love, was giving voice to the temptation. The prince of evil was the author of the thought. His instigation was behind that impulsive appeal. In the wilderness, Satan had offered Christ the dominion of the world on condition of forsaking his path of humiliation and sacrifice. Now he was presenting the same temptation to the disciple of Christ. He was seeking to fix Peter's gaze on earthly glory, that he might not behold the cross which Christ desired to turn his eyes. And through Peter, Satan was again pressing the temptation upon Jesus. But the Savior heeded it not. His thought was for his disciple. Satan had interposed between Peter and his master, And I like this next part. But the heart of the disciple, that the heart of the disciple might not be touched by the vision of his Christ's humiliation for him. Let me read that again. Satan had interposed between Peter and his master that the heart of the disciple might not be touched at the vision of Christ's humiliation for him. The words of Christ were spoken, not to Peter, but to the one who's trying to separate him from the Redeemer. Get behind me, Satan. No longer interpose between me and my earring servant. Let me come face to face with Peter that I may reveal to him the mystery of my love. Now imagine you had someone that you love very much, and you were told they were a tax evader, what would you do? Pay their taxes, maybe? We just went over that, you know. Um, Peter uh, was trying to save Jesus from the embarrassment of not paying the, the temple tax. And that's that was his motivation, not realizing that Jesus did not have to pay the tax. Tax, it's for me, I am the sacrifice. I don't have to pay it. But nevertheless, Peter, in his blind love, tried to uh, save Jesus of the humiliation i like to look at the story of the Last Supper. Jesus knew that uh, his time was near and uh, wanted to have the Passover meal with his disciples. So he sent Peter and John into town to make things ready. Luke 22, seven and eight says, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they had a meal. And after that, um, Peter and John had forgotten one small detail. Normally it was customary to wash the people's, the guests' feet. And they did not make a preparation for that. So what did Jesus do? First of all, he waited to see if anybody was going to do anything. Obviously, they didn't. So he took out his, off his outer coat, uh, and then he got water in the basin and started uh, washing the, the disciples' feet. Like in, in John 13, I'd like to pick up the story there on, in verse 6. John 13, verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said, I will wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and head. And Jesus said, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew that one would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So what lesson was Jesus trying to teach the disciples? If we keep reading in verse um, Thirteen, and have a part of verse twelve. You do not know what I have done. Then verse thirteen, you call me teacher and Lord. You say, "Well, for so I am." Then if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master; nor is he his sent greater. He who is sent is greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he's trying to teach him a lesson that they're all equal. Now, why, why were the disciples unwilling to wash the feet? as we read before that, uh, James and John's mother they come to Jesus and all are kind of wondering, I want a good position in this kingdom to come. And she asks, I want one son to sit on one side, one on the other. Now the other, unfortunately for John and James, the other disciples were there listening. They heard that. So as they went into the upper room, their hearts are not right. They had bitterness toward one another. And... Um, they just, you know, uh, had pride in their heart and no one would humble themselves. And I thought about this, you know, in, in our church, um, we have a something that's called platform elder. Okay? So for some of you who don't know what platform elder, what their duties are, their duties every Sabbath is to get someone to do the announcements, someone to do the call for uh, offering, scripture reading, congregational prayer. Now, if the pastor happened to be late and it was time for the morning prayer, whose responsibility is it to do the morning prayer? Okay, platform elder, that's whose responsibility is. Now, likewise, who got the upper room ready for that last supper? Whose responsibility was it to get the upper room ready? Peter and John. They're supposed to get everything ready. Now, Peter being the old disciple, it should have been his role as the older disciple to perform the duty of the servant. I have not words of inspiration, but I just as I looked at the picture, knowing that if I was responsible for something and it didn't happen, it's my responsibility to be sure that it happened. Now I want you to imagine with me another thing here, imagine you had someone that you love very much and he told you that one of his companions, one of his followers, was going to betray them, what would you do? Try to figure out who it is, okay, if you could, who is it, okay? And they all ask the same question, is it I, is it I, is it I? Um in Luke 22 uh, verses 31 to 34 Luke 22 verses 31 to 34 I'm going to read for the King James I like the way the King James puts this So Luke 22 31 to 34 and the Lord said Simon Simon behold Satan hath desired or to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, other versions say, return to me, strengthen your brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before you have denied me three Uh, Three times. Okay, again, Peter loved Jesus and he was sure of himself that, Lord, I'm going to die for you. This is not going to happen. After the Last Supper, they went uh, along the trail. They finally went up at at Gethsemane and Jesus took Peter, James, and John with them. They were just kind of in a group and said, I well, want you to pray for me. want you to strengthen me. And so he went off on his own. He came back, they are fast asleep. He woke him up Peter. said, you need to pray if you're going to overcome this temptation. He uh, went away, came back to sleep three times. Then uh, Judas came, leading the crowd. And uh, they bound Jesus. Now, again, Peter had promised that he was going to defend Christ. So what did he do? Whipped out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. He was ready to defend. And Christ uh, ma- magically or unmagically undid the ropes and healed Malchus's ear. And then the disciples ran away. John and uh, Peter kind of followed Christ in the courtyard. John was a friend with some uh, owner of the house, so he he got in. Peter didn't. Peter stayed in the courtyard and um, was kind of cold, kind of trying to warm himself up. Someone said, "Uh, you're one of his disciples. Oh, no, no, I don't know him so far. Um, Three times, someone asked, you know, you know him. He finally denied uh, Jesus with uh, cursing, I do not know him, and so forth. Notice this comment from Desire of Ages. While the degrading oaths were fresh upon Peter's lips and the shrill crowing of the cock was still ringing in his ears, the Savior turned from the frowning judges and looked full upon his poor disciple. At the same time, Peter's eyes were drawn to his master. And he read deep pity and sorrow. There was no anger there. The sight of that pale suffering face whose quivering lips That look of compassion and forgiveness pierced his heart. And again, talking about the heart, pierced his heart like an arrow. Conscience was aroused, memory was active. Peter called to mind his promise just a few short hours before that he would go with his Lord to prison and to death. He remembered his grief when the Savior told him in the upper chamber that he would deny his Lord thrice that same night. Peter had just declared that he did not know Jesus And he now realized with bitter grief how well his Lord knew him and how accurately he had read his heart, the falsehood of which was unknown even to himself. A tide of memories rushed over him, the Savior's tender mercy, his kindness, his long-suffering, his gentleness, his patience toward his erring disciples. All was remembered. He recalled the caution, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. He reflected with horror upon his own ingratitude, his falsehood, his perjury. Once more he looked at his master and saw a sacrilegious hand raised to smite him in the face. Unable to longer to endure the scene, he rushed heartbroken from the hall. And she goes on to say how he went to Gethsemane, and the scenes went before his mind, and at the end, he was crying, and he wished that he had died. Jesus had a night visitor back in, in John uh, chapter 3. Nicodemus came to Christ by night, and Christ had told him, as Moses was lifted, as, as Moses Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And in John, and in John twelve, he said, "And I, if I be lifted up, would draw all men to me." So when Peter saw Christ going through this, he was, you know, he saw him kind of being lifted up. Peter and the other disciples witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. John stood near the cross, the other 10 disciples were in the crowd, incognito, so it couldn't be recognized. When they saw Christ hanging on the cross, they recalled the word that he spoke, "And if I be lifted up, I'll draw, I'll draw men to me. The light of Jesus' mission began to draw on them. The story goes on with Peter, they're out fishing after the, after the resurrection, and they recognize someone on shore, Peter did. And so Peter, uh, Christ made a breakfast for them. And uh, in John 21, um, verses 15 and 17, the story goes on there. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He asked him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said, Oh, all things, you know that I love you. Another question for you: How many times did Jesus ask the question? Oh no, excuse me. How many questions did Jesus ask Peter? Okay. Yeah. Reminds me something I heard. I'll say this anyway. Someone asks a person, we'll say John. John is three is six years old. John's brother is three years younger. So when John is 70, how old is his brother? Okay. All right. So the person who heard the question was, John is six years old, his brother's half that age. Okay, that's the way it was. His brother's half that age. How old is he? Well, half of six is three. So if if he's 70, how old is he? Okay, that's the way the question was. Well, some uh, said 45, no, that's wrong. Okay, because the answer is 67, like you said, but I said it wrong, but you get the picture, okay? So this is a kind of similar question like that. My question is, how many times did Jesus ask? How many questions did Jesus ask? Okay, well, the answer is two, okay? Let us look at the questions. First question is, do you love me more than these? You remember in the upper room, Peter said, you know, I love you more than these guys. I mean, that was the gist of it. I will go to jail, I will die for you, but I love you more than these guys. Okay? The other guy said it too, if you read the story, well, they said too, okay? But basically, Peter was saying, I love you more than these. So Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? You know what his answer was? It wasn't, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. No. He said, Lord, do you know that I love you? See, that, that was gone. Now, the other two questions, that's not the same question. He asked the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Well, Peter had denied him three times, and he needed to kind of confess that he loved them three times. But there was a difference between the first time, because once we come to Jesus and we get forgiveness, do we have to come back again and ask for forgiveness? No, we don't. That's once. Okay. I thought that was interesting, the side that I picked up. Now, the last one, one more story about Peter. And this is from Acts uh, 14, verse 13. I'll set up the story. John and Peter had gone to the temple, and someone wanted some alms. I want some money. A beggar was asking for money. And said, neither gold silver so, so do I have you, but what I have, I'll give you in the name of Christ, stand and walk. Okay? So the the uh, people of the synagogue and temple were not happy with that, so they took him put him in jail. So they made him come before them. And then uh, this is what they said in in, um, in uh, verse uh, 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, Peter and John were not ignorant. They knew the language. They knew the basics of, of education. They did not have rabbinical training. So in religious matters, they were uneducated and untrained, but when the last time you read that, they were kind of dumb fishermen. They don't know anything. Well, no, well, that's not true. That's not what it's saying. I had read an article by Don Adnanus, a, a Ray Pritchard, who commented about this, this verse. I thought it was really interesting, and he read it from the uh, the voice. I mean, I may know what the voice is. It's, a, a new, it's an English translation of the Bible by um, Thomas Nelson. And this is the way he paraphrased that, that text. Now the leaders were surprised and confused. They looked at Peter and John and realized that they were typical peasants, uneducated, utterly ordinary fellows with extraordinary confidence. The leaders recognized them as companions of Jesus. So what's it mean to be with Jesus? Well first of all they had they were bold what's, what's boldness? Okay courage okay boldness is courage to act or speak fearlessly despite real or imagined dangers take action regardless of risk is confidence so they knew they had been with, with Jesus. In finishing, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 11 is called the Faith chapter. In this chapter, there are 16 individuals listed by name. They all love Jesus. Two of them, there are no flaw, character flaws listed Abel and uh, Enoch, there's no flaws, as, as I read. Uh, that the spirit of prophecy you know, uh, with them. But here's the other the other 14 on that list. Okay, Noah, he got drunk. Abraham was a liar and tried to get an heir his way. Sarah was a liar and got her husband to do things her way. Isaac He showed favoritism and tried to go against God's God's plan as to the birthright blessing. Jacob, he took advantage of someone when that person was hungry. He deceived his father and cheated his brother. Joseph, he was a spoiled favorite child, a tattletale. Moses, he tried to liberate Israel his way, murdering an Egyptian, and he had anger control issues. Rahab, she led an immoral lifestyle and was a liar. Gideon, he made an ephrod, which became a snare unto Israel. um, Barak, he refused God's call to go to battle unless Deborah led the army in battle. Samson. He was a weak leader, depending on his own strength, to, def- to defend Israel. He also loved foreign women to his detriment. He was disobedient to his parents. Jephthah. He made a rash promise to God in order to gain victory that God had promised him. David. He had anger and self-control issues, leading to the death of a faithful husband, and 7, 70,000 Israelites. Samuel, he was a lenient parent. Despite these issues, these individuals had faith that saved them. They came to know Jesus. In conclusion, we all have natural traits of self-worth and natural ability, some more than others, which Satan will take advantage of unless we keep our eyes on Jesus. Peter had a forward and impulsive nature. Yet God turned these traits into boldness for him. He could seem he could do the same for you if you keep your focus on him.